in 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, um, the king was Jehoshaphat. And at that particular time, the, the number of nations had aligned themselves. You can go ahead and bring me my security blanket over here, the thing I hide behind. Um, there was a number of nations that had, that had aligned themselves against the nation of Israel. There were the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, and a whole bunch of other ites. They all got together and they said, let's go kill all the Israelites. And Jehoshaphat declared a fast. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah. And, it's, and then here's what he told the king. He said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, he was outnumbered 100 to 1, roughly. It's what, what I've read in many different accounts of this. That they were outnumbered, a vast outnumbered. And he says, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Now, you're outnumbered 100 to 1, but some prophet says to you, hey, chill, don't worry about it. God's got this. You're like, yeah, right, okay. But he said, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, for this battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up. And he gives them a game plan, okay? It says, you will not need to fight in this battle. You know, that applies to us because you know what? The battle, that whatever battle you're facing, the battle's already been won by Jesus. And does anybody hear that? The battle has already been won. The devil's already defeated. He's already been defeated, so it's not like you have to go defeat the devil. No, he's already defeated. So you don't need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand, st stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem before them, before the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord. Then the Levites, the children of the Kohorites, and the children of the all stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with their voices loud and high. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat said, Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. Here's what the word is to you tonight. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And, we had, and when he had appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of God's holiness, and they were to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing... And to praise, you know, I, I skipped one part. It says that he sent out the worship team in front of the army. Anybody ever heard of that before? Where he sent out the choir ahead of the guys with the spears and the bows and arrows and, and all the armor and everything else. He put the people out front who were the most vulnerable. They were the musicians. Wow. 
And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And then when they had made an, an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they turned and destroyed each other. So when Judah came to the place of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and all there were was dead bodies on the earth. No one had escaped. No one had escaped. So they were up against insurmountable odds. It was not a good day. They were outnumbered, vastly outnumbered. And God's plan for them was to put the choir in the front and for them to sing praise to him and to give worship to him. Why? Because he is the God of all gods. And to God, nothing is impossible. So therefore, as they worshiped and praised God, he sent ambushments, which is like angels. And angels are like really good warriors. And then they got them all confused and they killed each other. They got confused and killed all the enemies of Israel. They killed each other. Israel didn't have to fire a shot. They didn't have to do anything. They simply needed to praise God. So we're going to sing, and I want you all to stand up. I want you to think about the battle that you have right now. I want you to envision or consider, even lift up to the Lord, whatever it is that's your biggest battle right now. Get and adopt a position of worship, whether that's on your knees or standing up or with your hands raised or on your face on the ground, whatever it is, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's not about us, it's about you and God. So you, let's think about what it is that's your biggest burden, your biggest battle, the thing that keeps you up at night and the thing that makes you worried, that thing, and I want you to give that to God tonight and we're going to praise and we're going to worship him because this is how we fight our battles. There was another time that a man of God, Elisha, was there. He was in Dothan and the king, another king of another nation, sent a whole army to arrest this one prophet who didn't even have a sword and because uh, they were so afraid of him. And they, they surrounded the house where he was. And when the servant went out, and when the servant went out, the man of God arose early and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those who are with them. See, that song says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. In this case, Elisha looked out and he saw thousands of soldiers and horses and chariots and spears and, and swords and all these weapons that were all aimed at him. And here he says, do not fear to his servant. He says, do not fear. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And the servant, I'm sure, looked at him and he went, one, two, 10,000. 
You got funny math, Elisha. Well, I'll tell you, God has funny math because he doesn't look at just what you see around you. There's a whole nother realm, the God realm, that goes beyond our senses. And when, we, when Elisha said to the servant, those that are with us are more than those that are with them, he was seeing into the spirit. Then he said, Elisha prayed. This is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw. And behold, the mountain was filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So that when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, strike these, this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness. And according to the word of Elisha, and Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, took him inside the king's like courtyards, surrounded him, and then God gave them back their sight. But then he showed them mercy. He didn't kill them. The king wanted to kill them, and he said, no, don't kill them. Feed them and send them back, and it stopped the war that was going on right now, right there. He, he showed mercy, and, and God was able to use this situation to stop a war that had been going on for some time. The point is, those that are with you are more than those that are with your enemy right now. God has a way of solving problems that we don't even know about. We can't see it because we look in the natural, but there's solutions in the spirit that you don't even maybe know about. Just like Elisha, there was a solution. It was right there. It was right in front of them and they, that the servant couldn't see the solution. But when God opened his eyes, he saw and there was all these angels, all this help. It may look like you're surrounded. It may look like you're hopeless. It may look like you're done. You're doomed. You're cooked. Put a fork, put a fork in you. You're, you're done. But that's the way it may look. But God has a way of, of remedying and resurrecting even when things look like they're done. He has a way of making things new. He has a, a resurrection power that goes beyond the natural. See, so tonight, the reason we asked him, I didn't really realize he was going to sing that song, but when, when I heard that song, I knew that we had to go here tonight, that today it may look, you may be in that situation, and it may be that you, it just looks hopeless, like we're so outnumbered, it's never going to get better. You may look at your marriage and say, are you kidding me? We don't even like each other. You may look at your kid and your, or your son or your daughter and say, oh my gosh, they're so far. But you know what? God in a moment can bring someone from out of anywhere and to minister life to whatever situation they're in. No matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, God has people in every square inch of this universe and God orders people to do things. There's, there's, there's just so many stories I could tell you, actual stories, actual accounts of situations where someone said, I don't know why, but the Lord really has put it on my heart to do this. And you go and they go and do it. And it's like totally what they've been praying for. But you had no idea. Sometimes it's like we, we look at this and we, we think, oh, I, I really feel like I should do this. 
and then you wrestle with it because you don't want to feel stupid, right? Anybody ever been there? You wrestle with whether you're going to obey the Lord or not, but really what you're dealing with is your obedience many times is the answer to another person's prayer. Somebody else is praying for that person. We had one instance where there was this, this couple that moved across the street from us. I had a pastor friend that lived across the street from us. It was awesome. We'd share praise and worship music back and forth. It was awesome, right? The pastor moved out, and this other family moved in, and the guy across the street, he, he, he drank every night and revved his motorcycle till 10, 30, or 11 every night. That was fun. So I lost my friend, and I got this wild guy who rode motorcycles and revved him up and worked on stuff in his garage, and he was noisy all the time. And uh, it was uh, a ministry opportunity is what it was. So we, we loved him. We, we reached out to him on a pretty regular basis. We found some common ground, found out he liked to bow hunt, so we talked about bow hunting a lot. And just things like that. And bottom line is, after about a year, year and a half, we actually led them to the Lord and they got baptized. Okay? Here's the deal, though. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the deal. At their baptism, a sister comes up to me and says, she lives in way on the West Coast, and she said, and she's a born-again Christian, she said, we were praying that when they moved, God would put them across the street, specifically, from a couple that could reach them. And God trusted us enough to put that family across the street from us. And to think we almost got offended by the fact that he, his motorcycle was loud. Right? We almost were dumb and didn't have an opportunity to be the answer to someone's prayer because it was inconvenient. But the reality is we were the answer to that sister's prayer for her brother. Just by being who we are. We were the answer because she was praying that, God, you would place them across the street. And that's so funny because they were right across the street from us, across the street from a couple that can reach them and it can show the love of Jesus to them. And that's what we did. See, so your obedience is the answer to someone else's prayer. See, that's, that's a very important thing that it's worth, is it worth taking a risk to maybe get someone Saved? Well, yeah, it's worth taking a risk. Is it worth missing it and have them look at you and go, I don't know what you're talking about. You're just weird. Is it worth that? Yeah, it's worth that. It is. It's worth being embarrassed. It's worth um, feeling silly. Absolutely, it's worth feeling silly. To obey God, absolutely. Because you know what I've found? That when you give somebody, if, if you really feel like you're supposed to do something and you do it and that person says, I don't know what you're talking about. Most of the time, they do know what you're talking about, but they're freaked out that you ask them about it. So they lie to you and say they don't know what you're talking about. I've had so many people come back later and say, oh, I'm sorry, I lied to you. I really did. But you got to tell me, how'd you know about that? They come back later and say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I lied to you, but... Dude, what is, what, is, what is your deal? How'd you know about that? 
I said, I don't know, the Lord just showed me something, and I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to hear God and trying to be obedient. So your obedience can answer the prayer of someone across the country or around the world. Your obedience to the, to the leading of the Lord is so vitally important because not only will it make you happy because you're being obedient to the King of Kings, your master, Jesus Christ, right? But it's also gonna bless the people that you minister to. So that's where we just got to just be sensitive and take risks and not worry about it. Now you don't go saying crazy stuff. I have to always put this disclaimer that you don't wanna walk up to somebody and tell them all, you know, you're gonna become an astronaut, whatever, you know, unless they really are gonna become an astronaut, I don't know. But typically that's not the case. But the point is, be willing to take risks. Be willing. Because you know what? There's a whole world out there. There's a whole realm in the spirit that we don't even see in the natural, but it's there. It may look like you're surrounded, but God is surrounding everything. That it may look like it's hopeless, but there's always hope. There's always hope. God has people. You say, oh, my brother, he is so hard. Listen, I got one of those. I got a brother that's, that's away from the Lord. He lives in another state. But you know what? I got nieces and nephews that are away from the Lord. But you know what? God has people all over the place. God has people. And those people, that's why. What, what the deal is, as you are obedient to the people around you, you're sowing a seed for other people to help your family. You know, you understand that? When you sow and help others, you are sowing and you're going to reap a harvest with other people helping your kids. That's why it, it's so important to be obedient because you know you never know. It's so important to, be, to, to, to exhibit grace to other people because you never know when you're going to need it yourself. So you sow grace, not judgment. I had a whole message prepared here. I'm only going to get to a portion of it. The, 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 the thing that the Lord really spoke to me very strongly two days ago is John chapter 6, verse 62. It said, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. See, the, the flesh doesn't benefit by you obeying the Lord. The flesh doesn't benefit by you doing um, whatever it is graciously or ministering to those around you. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And then Jesus said these words, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Do we have that on there? Do we have? This is John chapter 6, 62. It's actually 663. The words that I speak to you are spirit and their life. They're spirit and life. The words of Jesus are spirit and their life. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will never, by no means, pass away. So the words that Jesus spoke to us through Scripture, their spirit and their life. 
That's why the scripture is so vitally important and why we need to put God's word in our mouth, in our heart and in our mouth, is because it's spirit and it's life. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard, hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Why does faith come by hearing? Because his words are spirit and life. So when we hear words of spirit and life, you know what happens? Faith is the result. Faith comes by the hearing of God's word. So all heaven and earth are going to pass away. Everything we see is going to melt in fervent heat. But God's word is going to remain forever. Now, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat its fruit. So you can either... In this situation, you can either say Jesus' words, which are spirit and life, or you can see, or you can say what your circumstances are around you, which isn't life. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. You choose what you speak. You are responsible. I am responsible for my words. You are responsible for your words. We're all responsible for whatever words we choose to say. Words are very, very important. Words are important. Why are they important? At creation, words were spoken and light was created. Words were spoken and the planets were flung into their orbits. Words were spoken and God said and stuff happened. When Jesus said to the centurion servant, your servant lives, his servant lived. Right? He said to the, to the woman with the issue of blood, be it unto you as you have said. How about the, the spies in the land of Canaan? Ten of them said, we can't go in. They didn't go in. Two of them said they could go in. They went in. I think their words made the difference. See, Joshua and Caleb gave a good report, and the other ten gave an evil report. God called that an evil report. Why? Because it was different than God's report. So any report that's different than God's report should not be part of your words. So whose report are you going to believe? You may have gotten a doctor's report. Doctors aren't our enemies. Doctors are, my, are our friends, okay? About two and a half years ago, I had open heart surgery. If, if I hadn't have had open heart surgery, I'd be dead, and I wouldn't be here right now, okay? So I am thankful for the doctors. I'm thankful for Meyer Heart Center. I'm thankful for Dr. Timmick. I'm thankful for all those. But they said a bunch of things about me that I was going to have this problem and I was going to have that problem and I was going to have that problem. And they're just trying to prepare me. But the fact of the matter is when they gave me all those reports, my wife and I looked at each other and said, no, we aren't getting that. We aren't taking that one. We're not going to receive that report, right? That's not, we, so we didn't. So our report was when I got done with surgery and as soon as I was off all those crazy narcotics, which is only about five days, and I chucked them all, but 
What I said was, I'm going to recover supernaturally quickly, efficiently, and completely. That's what I kept saying. I'm going to recover efficiently, quickly, and completely. I said it time and time again. Every time someone asked me, I would say, I'm recovering efficiently, quickly, and completely. I'm doing great, even though I did not feel so hot at the time. I kept saying, I'm recovering quickly, efficiently, and completely, supernaturally. And they would just, they would say, oh, aren't you, aren't you really sore? Nope, I'm doing great. Now, did I have some pain? Yup, but I'm not gonna talk about and reinforce the symptoms I I decided what my wife and I agreed on what we were going, what we were going to position we were going to take, and we stood our ground. Why? Because words are important. I have a friend, I have a cousin actually, he's a friend also, and his words, he didn't understand the power of words. And he kept saying this when he was in his 30s, he said, I'll never live to see 50. Dumb, don't do that, okay? But when he was 30, he kept saying that. And then somebody would say, oh, what are you going to do for retirement? He goes, I'm never going to live to see retirement. And then next thing you know, he'd, somebody else would say something to him, and he'd say, oh, man, I don't have to worry about Social Security. I'll be dead long before then. He would just say these things. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? Don't do that. Well, you know what happened? When he was 49, he got diagnosed stage 4 cancer, inoperable. It would wrapped around his heart and through his lungs. It was inoperable and they gave him 90 days to live when he was 49. You know why that happened? I don't know exactly why, but I have a pretty good, pretty good idea. It had something to do with the fact that he kept saying, I'm going to be dead by the time I'm 50. Well, he was taking chemo and he calls me up while he's taking chemo. He calls me up on his cell phone while he's got the thing in his arm. He calls me up and he says, Hey, I was just sleeping while I was having chemo, and God showed me at least 10 instances where I have said I'd be dead before I'm 50. He says, what do you think this means? I said, I think it means you need to repent right now and retract every one of those sayings and ask God to forgive you and retract those statements right now in Jesus' name. So we did it right on the phone, right there. He retracted every one of them that he could remember, and he asked God to forgive him. He repented. We, put, we confessed the blood of Jesus over him and the chemo and the treatments. And you know what happened? He recovered completely. He's still alive, and that was in 2003. That was in 2003. He's still alive. He was in church last Sunday. I saw him. He's a greeter. Big, tall, bald guy. He greets down at Door K on Sunday mornings. But God restored him to complete health. For 15 years later, he's still healthy. He's cancer-free. He has no, no recurrence whatsoever. Never has had one. Why? Because he cut off the entry point of the enemy. See, that's an extreme case. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is, words are important. That we've got to be careful that we don't speak evil reports about ourselves. God called the 10 spies reports evil. Why? Be Here's the reality. Those 10 spies, they had a report that was factual, right? They weren't making stuff up. 
I mean, if you look at it, they weren't making stuff up. But yet God called it evil. Why did God call telling it like it is? You could call it, you could say that they were just, they were realists. They were gonna tell it like it is. But yet God called their report evil. Why? Because God had said they were gonna take the land and he was going to help them and they did not believe him. They, they trusted what they saw with their eyes. They trusted their five senses more than they trusted the word of God. That's why he called it an evil report. Because when we rely on our natural senses and when we decide we know better than what God says, then we are believing an evil report and we're not believing God's report. God's report says that by Jesus' stripes you're healed. That's God's report. God's report says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But how, pastor? I don't know how. Me neither. Next question. He didn't know how they were gonna defeat those 10 armies or eight armies, whatever there were, but you know what? God made a way. Why? Because they trusted him. Because they chose to have a good report. They chose to believe God's word over their circumstances. You know that Abraham, he got a promise from God when he was 75 years old. He said, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. Here he was, 75, had a 74-year-old wife, and he says, I'm gonna, and he had no children. Then he tried to have a kid with an Egyptian handmaid. That was a bad idea. That was Ishmael. And finally, when he was 99, God came to him and said, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. Your name is Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he, his wife conceived at 99 and, she, and he was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 99. And they had a son. His son was named Isaac. It was Abraham Isaac. Then Isaac was the son of the promise. But you know what? It says in Romans, it says in Romans that against hope, in hope, he believed. Even though he had no hope in the natural, even though his body was dead in the natural, there was no way for him to conceive a child. There was no way for his wife to conceive a child at, even back then at that age. There was no way. It was done, okay? But yet in hope, in hope, against hope, in hope they believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Because he believed God, he was considered righteous. Because he believed God. Sometimes God tells you something, nobody else believes you, it's okay. If God's told you and, you, and it's scriptural and it's not puffed up and strange, listen, if God's told you, then stick with it. Don't give up. See, it's not just saying nice things and not saying bad things. It's saying what God says about your situation. God's word has within it the power to make it come to pass. You hear what I said there? That's important. Because Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. God's word has within it, within God's word, is the power to make his own word 
come to pass. God's word has within it the power and the potential to make itself come to pass when we speak it. God's word in your mouth is a double-edged sword. God's word in your mouth is powerful. It can change your life. In fact, God's word in your mouth, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You can't even be saved without confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. See, making God's word your confession is incredibly important in the middle of any situation. God, what does God's word say about your situation? What does God's word say about your marriage? God's word says to love her as Christ loved the church, husband. God's word says to love her as Christ loved the church. God's word says to love him and to honor him as the head of your household, mamas, wives. That's what it says. I didn't make it up. You can be mad at me all you want. Doesn't matter because you know what? God's word is God's word. Doesn't mean you put up with abuse. Doesn't mean all the reasons and everybody's got all kinds of ideas about why that's antiquated and why it doesn't work today. It works today. Because if a husband is laying down his life for his wife, the most natural thing in the world for her to do is to honor him. That's the most natural thing in the world. And if he's being a complete jerk, it's obviously very difficult to honor somebody when they're acting like a complete jerk. But here's the deal. It's possible. You can still honor him even if he's being a jerk. And you know what will happen most of the time? And I'm meddling. I understand that. So I'll, I'll get cards and letters. That's great. But you can just keep it to yourself too. But if you honor him, even though he's acting like a jerk, he'll be convicted and he'll come back to you. If you love her when she's not honoring you, you know what will happen? She'll probably start honoring you. See, you sow what you can, and then God makes up the difference. See, you can, you can give love to your wife. You can give honor to your husband. You can. You really can. Say, well, he's such a jerk. Maybe he is. You could still honor him. And honor doesn't mean doing everything he asks. It just means honoring him. See, God calls those things that be not as though they were. When Abraham was a fatherless man, he called him the father. When he was a sonless man, he called him the father of many nations. Your world today will rise or your world today will fall. It'll increase or decrease based upon your words and what you're saying about yourself. I remember the old song, somebody brought it up the other day. Somebody, we were sitting around a campfire and we had some friends out to the lake and we were all sitting around, just talking around the campfire, about 20 of us, and one of them started singing an old song from Hee Haw. He started singing, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And I looked at him, I said, what are you talking about? Knock it off. Don't sing that stupid song. Do you really want gloom, despair, and agony on you? Then be quiet. Oh, it's just a song, yeah? Okay, or not. Doesn't mean it's going to come on you right away, but you don't need to sow that bad seed. And he said, oh, you're being, you're being a legalist. No, I'm just trying to help you. Just trying to help. And uh, if you don't want my help, that's great. I'm still going to offer it, but it's okay. It was my house, so hey, you know, 
It's what they get for coming to my house. So your words are either agreeing and ratifying God's plan for your life, or they're agreeing with your circumstances. Let's just put it that way. Your words are either ratifying and agreeing with God's plan for your life, or your words today are agreeing and ratifying your present state of circumstances. And if you want change from your present state of circumstances, the first place to start is right below your nose and the words that you're speaking. Instead of saying what you have, say what God says you can have. See, I could have said when I had that surgery, I could have told everybody how painful it was. I could have told everybody about the three tubes that were coming out of my chest and how bad they hurt. I could have told everybody about my lungs and how bad my lungs hurt, because they did. But you know what I chose? I said, I'm not going to talk about that because that's what I already have, and I don't want more of that. So I'm going to talk about God's power at work in me and my speedy recovery. And you know what happened? I speedily recovered. I got, I have what I said. See? And all of us, whether we know it or not, you'll have what you say. I'd say if you can just, if, if, if no more comes from this night than a couple people, just say, I'm going to pay attention to how I speak, even about yourself. Don't call yourself an idiot. You're not an idiot. I know a lot of times people's self-talk is very negative toward themselves. And I would say, don't talk bad about yourself. I mean, you got enough enemies in the world. You don't need to be your own worst enemy, right? Somebody, come on. I mean, so when you catch yourself talking negatively about yourself, say, mm, I'm not going to talk negatively about myself. I'm not doing that anymore. Because that's, those are all, words are powerful. And words, the words of Jesus, they're spirit and life. And so just talk about yourself the way God talks about you. You can just start saying things like, thank you, Lord, that my, the memory of the righteous is blessed. That's Proverbs chapter 10. The memory of the righteous is blessed. And I thank you, Lord, that I have a fantastic memory. I remember everything I need to remember. I have an incredible memory. Start saying that instead of saying, oh, I'm 50 and I forget everything. No, don't say that. Why? Because you don't want more of that. Start saying God's word about yourself. Start saying God's word that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. The favor of God surrounds me like a shield. I thank you, Father, that I give and it's given unto me. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. That's total strangers just come up to me and give me money. Not because of anything that I ask for, just because, God, you tell them to. And has somebody, total stranger, come up and given me money lately? No. But it's okay. I'll still keep saying it. Because, you know, one of these days, you never know. <laughs> hey, it's just a better way to live. Be positive. Start saying what God says about you. Don't, don't buy into the negative self-talk thing. Because you know what? When, when you start being so negative about yourself, um, you're, you're really just paving the way for the enemy to, to really get you into depression or into other bad thought patterns that aren't healthy. They're just not healthy for anybody. So let's just decide today that we're going to watch our words, that we're going to let 
we're going to let God fight our battles. We're going to praise him. We're going to lift up our hands and thank God that he is our source, that whatever problem it is in our life that we're facing, we're going to get God's word on that subject, God's word on that situation, and we're going to answer with God's word because his words are spirit and life. So whatever it is, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a lack, whether it's a relational issue, man, there is a promise, God's word to fix, to remedy and to renew that problem and to fix it completely. There is, but it's just a matter of us taking the initiative and deciding that we're not gonna be negative. We're not gonna just report what we see, but we're gonna see beyond what we can see and we're gonna say, God, Show me in the spirit, like you did Elisha's servant. Show me how you have made provision for me. Because you know what? If you can see past right here, past the end of your nose, past the end of our nose, if we can see past the natural into the spiritual, if God can give us a glimpse of his plan, you know what? It brings peace and it can bring confidence and that'll give you the resolve to stand firm. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that today you stand and you listen to the words that we're saying. Father, we thank you that we'll all be judged based on the words that we say. It's, your scripture says it very clearly. So today, if, if, if you're sitting here this evening and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life or maybe you prayed when you were a little child but it's, it's been a long time and you haven't been walking with the Lord and you want to get right with God tonight. You say, I want to get right with God. I want to start over. I want to get right with God. If that's you, I would like to pray with you right where you are. If that's you, lift up your hand and I'll pray with you right now. You can, get, you can start over, get right with God. If that's you, give you an opportunity to, to just get right with God. Everyone's right with God here? All right, well, let's just, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you have put a watch over our mouths tonight. And that, Father, we say according to, to the Psalms that Lord may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord our rock and our redeemer father put a put a head put a put a watch over our mouth that we don't speak only what we see but that we'll speak what you say we thank you that your words are spirit and their life that when we speak your word things change circumstances change we thank you, Father, for, for laborers being sent into the lives of the children, siblings, parents, aunts and uncles, friends of all of us in this room. We thank you for laborers being sent to each of them at the point of their need. Send someone that can reach our loved ones. Send someone that can reach them no matter where they are, no matter what condition they're in, we thank you, Lord, that even if they're sitting in a bar right now, even if they're inebriated right now, that, Lord, you'll send somebody just to minister life to them. If they're sitting in a crack house, that they'll have somebody that, that just brings life to them. 
We thank you, Father, Lord, that you are at work. Father, those that are with us, your angels, your warring spirits, are more than those that are with them, that are against us. Father, we thank you that we have a majority. We thank you for your warring angels, your worshiping angels, your angels that do your bidding. We thank you, Lord, that they're a ministering servant sent to those who inherit salvation. We thank you and we release. We ask you to send your angels to, to bring in and not hold back anything that God has destined for our lives and for our ministry. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that everything we put our hands to prospers. We thank you, Father. That favor surrounds us like a shield. We thank you, Lord, that you open doors that no man can shut. That, Father, you close doors that no man can open. Father, we thank you that we trust you, that we worship you. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Father, for your, for your graciousness. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from dead works so that we can inherit salvation. We thank you that our minds are clean. We thank you, Father, that our hearts are cleansed. We thank you, Father, that you go before us and you make a way, that you give us a level path for our feet to walk on. We thank you, Lord, that we're sent out from this place, empowered, energized, full of the Holy Ghost, ready to do whatever it is you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a shout.